And I think this pandemic has really shown the world that you're here, it's a beautiful life that you have, take the risk, go out there and fight hard for it, go and do what you wanna do. Now's the time to do it. It's not tomorrow, it's not the next day. Go learn about it and see if it's right for you. But that's, I think, take the risk of knowledge. Welcome everyone to the Ask a CEO Show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg Demetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years. He is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their companies. And now he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now. Welcome everybody to Ask a CEO Show. I'm Greg Demetrio, your host, and my day job is CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications and Integrated Marketing Agency here in New York. But my real passion is talking to CEOs about their journey to the C-suite. And today we have Nick Neonakis, and he is a multifaceted franchising expert. He's a published author. He's a CEO and founder of The Franchising Company and the author of The Franchise MBA. Nick has 20 years of deep business experience with the last 10 years devoted to the franchise field. He holds an MBA in finance, marketing, and strategy, and he speaks five languages. Nick, thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Yes. Wonderful. So, Nick, especially now with COVID, uh, people are looking for different opportunities, and I'm guessing you guys are pretty busy right now trying to put those people in the right situations. Yep, busiest we've ever been. How do you how do you communicate with such a broad global global network of, of business executives and consultants? Uh, you as as, uh, as the top guy, Nick, how do you communicate the vision and the strategies that you're trying to implement? Is it oh, obviously it's got to be remote in most cases, but in terms of content, how do you communicate with those people? Yeah. So we have a number of different uh, systems that we built into the organization to be able to facilitate that kind of communication. Mm-hmm. So, you know, domestically and internationally, two different uh, different businesses. So let's talk domestically first and then internationally. So the United States is split up into a series of zones. If you think of the U.S. like a rectangle, start chopping it up, northeast, southwest, etc. And within each of those geographic areas, um, we have clusters of consultants who work together collaboratively uh, within that market. So for instance, in the tri-state area um, where we've got Todd Weiss and Mitch Pinckney and Marielle Miller and so forth, they all work together if they wanna do local marketing in the tri-state area or in New York. So because we have a a node in essence that facilitates the conversation with the geographic area. The other thing that we do is we have a construct called executive action teams. And these groups of consultants meet on a biweekly basis to discuss their business and the market and so forth. But again, because that's a construct, 
if a, a group has a question, they can you know, bring it to, to me or one of the other people. So if you think of it sort of like a wagon wheel, what I always want to do is try and create these, these hub and spoke models that then can facilitate questions and information going back and forth. The other thing that we do is every Monday we have a town hall meeting. Everybody calls in, we do them by Zoom now. And um, you know, we discuss the state of the union on a weekly basis. And then it's open mic time. So, you know, we'll have 100, 120 people on these calls where, you know, anything goes, whatever questions they have, issues, et cetera, we can get them addressed in real time. Because if somebody in Long Island has a question, it's very likely somebody in Phoenix, Arizona has a similar question so that that way everybody can benefit uh, from, from those. The way that we memorialize information is we have a very robust intranet site that is also an app-based. So everything we do is app-based and online. So we can record everything. We can memorialize um, conversations, information about businesses, uh, market conditions, and so forth. And you can go in, it's kind of like Google, and um, you know our people can go in and they can search by, by keyword, uh, what it is that they're looking for, and, and usually find it pretty easily. And all, then it's all also- on your, All on your site, all of, that, all of that intelligence and information is available readily to the entire network? That's right. That's yep. wonderful, that's great. Yeah, that's great. so that's you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, it's a very um, I think, information uh, sharing culture that we have. And so all of the systems have to be able to do that because again, we're, we're working with so many different businesses that we have to be able to share information uh, easily across you know, different, uh, different individuals. And it goes the same way internationally. So if you think of all of these constructs that we created, this hub and spoke in essence in the United States, that's the same thing that then we template when we go to another country. So we share all of that intellectual capital that we've developed in the US we help them set it up overseas. And then it's in essence, two wheels that can interact, right? There's a hub and spoke, a hub and spoke, and then those two can, uh, can interact. And that's, we've had a lot of success doing that. Do you actually, do you, do you, do you uh, operate as a, uh, a conduit to leads to all these different areas and, and geographies? In other words, if somebody comes into you and it's in Belgium or it's in uh, Caracas or whatever, you then contact the correct provider in that region. Is that the way that works? Correct. Yeah. Not a whole lot of business going on in Caracas, unfortunately, right now. But hopefully, uh, in the that future. was a poor, poor choice on my part. Yeah. Right. Well, um, but uh, we do, and you know, more importantly, it's we teach them how to generate their own uh, awareness within that market. Now we do get you know people, let's say you know from Belgium, who will reach out to us in the United States, and then we'll send them back. Um, you know, to Sweden, for instance. Mm -hmm. Now it'll be to France when we open up the office there. Um, but, you know, it's it's more around um, how would you then create the awareness that this service exists? Now, what I didn't tell you is our services are completely free of charge to our clients. So our fees are paid by the franchisor, similar to a realtor where the seller of the property pays uh, pays the commission in essence the fees. So our services are free to the buyers of franchises. Interesting, interesting. So Nick, if you don't mind, we have to take a little bit of a break now to pay some bills and get a word in from the sponsor. 
So we'll take a little pause here and we'll be back in a moment, everybody. Want to get your marketing and advertising out to the widest audience with maximum effect? Check out Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning agency telling personal and brand stories for more than 30 years. Tell your company's story with digital and traditional advertising and marketing. Visit LorraineGregory.com today. And we're back uh, with Nick Neonakis, and he's a franchising expert, author, and global entrepreneur. So Nick, franchising is a very interesting business model. Please explain to the audience why the better ones work and how they become very successful franchise owners. Okay, sure. So a franchise is, the definition of a franchise is a marketing model that a business uses to grow with other people's money. That would be the franchisee. So if you think about what makes a successful franchise, it's having the ability to group together with other individuals to bring down the cost of materials that you're going to use in your business. Now, these materials could be marketing, operations, food supply, whatever it is. But the really good franchises, if you think about them, have scale. Okay, and they have enough people there that if you think of it like I always, I always tell people, think of it like baking cookies. Okay, if we were going to go and uh, you and I are going to bake, you know, a million cookies together, we'd probably want to divide up who's going to buy what ingredients, who's responsible for what. We'd really think through the process of baking a million cookies a little bit differently than baking a dozen cookies, right? Just go down to the supermarket, get the stuff. Here we might enter into a you know, forward-looking purchase for tons of flour, um, you know, with Cargill or somebody. The really good franchises have thought through their systems and processes. So when you're purchasing that franchise, you're gaining access to that level of detail and also all of the purchasing power that they have. You're also going to have a dedicated team of people who are looking to help you grow that business and to keep you from making mistakes, and here's why. Franchisors make their money by charging a royalty, typically, on gross revenue. So the bigger your business gets, the more money they make. And that's, you know, when you think about what makes a quality franchise, you want to look at, is there an alignment of interests between the franchisee, the person who buys the franchise, and the franchisor, the person who's selling that franchise? And, you know, one of the things that I always recommend for someone who buys a franchise is go work in a franchise business. Go follow an owner around for a day or two or a week or whatever you need. But go and see what is it that you're going to be doing? And does the bloom come off the rose, you know, when you're when you're getting your hands dirty? Um, and a lot of times people will come back from those days and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to do it. Uh, it's not for me. And I said, great. Glad you found out now and not, you know, six months from now after you paid a whole bunch of money and, uh, you know, locked yourself into some kind of contract. Right. So because it's such a big industry nowadays, you said there was 4,000 some odd franchises in the U.S. alone. Mm-hmm. So what trends do you see new, new franchises coming online? ones that come and go 
what trends are you seeing in terms of viability of the current inventory of franchises? So I think it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. Okay. You're always going to see these sexy, faddish businesses that pop up. And then a couple of years later, well, what happened? So I always tell people, think about the basic necessities of mankind. Think about, remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs from school? Think about the really basic things that people have a need for, food, clothing, shelter, and so forth. And if you can find businesses that address a very basic need, then that's where franchising tends to do well because a franchise has to work in a local community. So if it's a business that I can fulfill some need remotely, that's not gonna work well in franchising. So online businesses, why would you franchise an online business? I know people have, but you're better suited having a centralized distribution model. But if you need, let's say an oil change, doesn't it make sense to have an oil change place in your town? You're not gonna do it online. If you're hungry, you're gonna buy your food in your community, right? You're not gonna order it in. So anything that you have to do locally that's basic, that you can't do online or ship in from some other city or country, that's where franchising tends to work well. So within that paradigm, okay, so if that's the lens that we want to look at businesses, then depending on the economic environment, the, the macro and the microeconomic environment, you're going to have differences, okay? So in certain economic uh, times, some businesses will do well and others won't. So I'll give you a couple of examples because we've just gone through, you know, obviously a pandemic, we're arguably still in it. Um, everybody has to eat. This is a non-negotiable non thing. But restaurants closed at a, a disproportionately higher rate than just about any other businesses that are out there, unless they had very strong delivery systems. Think of a Domino's or Pizza Hut, right? They did pretty well. Um, Chick-fil-A as well has done pretty well because they have a very robust takeout platform. But the mom and pop businesses that relied on somebody coming in to sit down, they closed. Now, what'll happen is coming out of the pandemic, they'll start to reopen or new buyers will come in and purchase those second generation sites and put a new restaurant in there. So within the pandemic, if you think about businesses that you had to go to the business for fulfillment, like nails, hair, facials, mm. uh, fitness, things like that, their businesses were impacted massively. And there was a huge decrease in the revenue and the sales of those businesses. Now, what did the pandemic do? Because everybody was staying home and looking at their homes in a different way, property services, businesses, franchises shot through the roof, painting, plumbing, roofing, flooring, closets. And there's lots of franchises in those spaces that have done well. So if you look at the macro environment, that's what drove the, the distinctions. Now in a micro environment in you know, specific markets, there are gonna be some restaurants, for instance, that have a very strong following and they were able to make that change over to delivery. 
Um, so, you know, but those tend to be more the exceptions than the rule. So my, my recommendation is, is think about what we've just gone through and, you know, think about the pains that you've had trying to find services in your local market. It's very likely that there are going to be other people that have similar orientations. And that's the kind of stuff that we can go and say, well, is there a franchise that fits this need in Long Island, for instance, and then do an analysis for you? So many people have the idea that you buy a franchise and sit back and collect money. Okay. Is there any such thing as a hands-free franchise? And um, how would you know? Yeah, I'd say the short answer is no. Um, you know, and if anybody tells you that their franchise is hands-free and you make money, I, I'd probably run the other direction and I'd <laughs> probably count my fingers if I shook their hand. Um, so, you know, the reality is, you know, with any business, you're going to work your tail off um, and either you're going to put you know, significant dollars into it to hire the right people to do it or you're going to do it yourself. I mean, there's no there's no shortcut to, to doing it. That being said, there are different models of franchise businesses that you can take advantage of depending on the balancing beam that you're standing on. Okay, the, this, this, the, the scales I want you to think about, all of your, your listeners, is time and money, right? The two things that we're gonna put into a business, time and money. What do you have more of is then going to dictate what you should invest into your business. So if you have significant capital, then time is probably pretty short, but we can use our capital to hire people to then make up for the time that otherwise we would spend. If we don't have a lot of money, then we need to look for businesses that use our skills and talents to capitalize the business with. And so, you know, either one, you're going to be working. One is going to be managerial work and watching your investment. The other one's going to be, you know, roll up your sleeves and do it. But regardless, Greg, whatever type of business somebody decides to get into, whether it's more capital intensive or time intensive, you as the owner need to know every single thing about that business. That's a non-negotiable. So you can't just buy the business and step back and say, you know, I'm going to collect some money. My advice, buy a bond or a CD. Yeah, it doesn't exist. But, you know, you can get in, work it, learn how it works, bring a team in and, you know, learn with them. And then you step out and have the necessary control mechanisms there so that, you know, you know, are they going to work? Are they doing a good job? What defines a good job? And so on. And there are lots of franchises out there that, that fit those types That's of criteria. Basically no different than any other business on the face of the earth. The only no. thing you come into is with a playbook. Right. If, if I'm Joe Blow and I say I want to start a business next week and I put my shingle out on my garage, I'm building that all from the ground up from zero. I have nothing. But when the franchise, you come in with a playbook and people right. who can coaches who can explain the playbook to you. So it's not about investing a few bucks and collecting money. It's about where do I fit in this in this type of scenario. That's I mean, I fell into the business I'm in now. It's a long, circuitous route. But once I once I did, it was show up every day, work hard, and the results will take care of itself. Your effort is what you're going to be judged on. And if you do it right, God bless, you'll have a nice a nice result. But if you're a slacker or, you know, you're not you're lazy and you're not really immersed in your own business and the success of it, you're going to fail, no matter who's in your corner. 
So I imagine that the franchisors and the franchisees sometimes are at loggerheads because each are looking at each other quite a little differently, yeah? They can be. Um, I think it really gets down to does the franchisor create value for their franchisees? And if they don't, and they look to take advantage of them, then they're gonna be at loggerheads. But if it's a harmonious marriage where the franchisor is aggregating the, the needs of their constituents, of their franchisees, and then finding solutions that work for them in a way that they wouldn't be able to do on their own, then those tend to be pretty, pretty harmonious relationships. Again, it always gets down to, are you better off with a franchise and are the tools that they provide of a better quality and cost less, so you make more margin than if you went and bought those tools on your own? Because don't forget, every single franchise, I don't care which one it is, and people love it when I say this, especially in the franchise community, you can go and replicate it. You can go and start something that does the same thing. I mean, name me a franchise and, and I'll tell you how to go start it up on your own, right? You like hamburgers? You want to buy a McDonald's? I can tell you thousands of stories of Greeks who've started up terrific restaurants and, and they there's no brand over it, maybe their own brand. But, but here's the thing. McDonald's has branding. They have the ability to supply uh, materials at a lower cost than if you're buying it on your own, because again, they're aggregating the demand. Yeah. And you know, what are the materials? It's not just the hamburgers and the potatoes. When you see a McDonald's commercial in Long Island, it's probably the same one that I'm seeing in Miami. And if we're both McDonald's franchisees, we paid a sliver of the cost of that airtime and the production value and yet we derive a hundred percent benefit from that ad, right? Because yeah, the people you're, in our- You're attaching your wagon to the brand. So what is a brand? A brand is a promise of an experience. And you see a McDonald's commercial, you can taste the quarter pounder already. That's, right. that's what you're buying into. That's why they're so usually expensive to do. But they established the brand years and years ago and you're riding that wagon as far as you can go. Right. I, the way I understand it, their program is pretty intense in terms of training uh, new owners and management. So mm -hmm. listen, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna go too long because I really sure. wanna give you the opportunity to talk about the Franchise MBA book that you have. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, what's in it and why uh, people who are interested in franchises should access it. So the Franchise MBA, you know, when, um, when I started in franchising, um, one of the first things I did was I went and I visited about 75 businesses uh, within this, this company called Stained Glass Overlay. It was a really neat franchise system. And asked the franchisees, what's working for you? You know, what do you like about the franchisor? What do you not like about the franchisor? What products are you selling? What marketing is working for you? What do you wish you had? You know, where can we help? And so it was through conversations, it's very open conversations that you really learn a lot about what makes businesses tick. And then I was very fortunate over the years um, to have a lot of different experiences with lots of different entrepreneurs who started franchise systems and franchise brands. 
Mm. And what I found was that the most uh, successful of these tended to have a, a very linear way that they investigated what to get into. And it was a disciplined way of, of figuring out what business they want to be in or where they want to diversify. And so this really shaped my thinking around writing this book. I wanted to take these stories, encapsulate them, and then be able to, to give them to people. I mean, you already understood the process, but now hearing it from the ground, the people on the ground, it refined what they were thinking in terms of your process, yes? Correct. And so what I wanted to do was, you know, people who purchased a business and made a, a mistake in buying it, the costs are significant. So I wanted to try and help people from making those mistakes. Um, now, here's the way I looked at it. I, I think there are four major steps in investigating and buying a business, whether it's franchise or otherwise. And so if you think of these like four rocks going across a stream, think about how you'd walk across rocks. Go slow, right? Test each rock before you commit. If it's wobbly, you probably don't want to put your whole body weight on it, fall in the water. So that's how you should approach investigating a business acquisition, slowly. The first step is the introspective self. And it's write a business plan on you. Who are you? What are you good at? What are you trying to do? What is the outcome that you're trying to derive from this endeavor? And you don't need to say, I want to buy a painting company. It's what does Greg want to do with a business? So write that out. That's the first step. The second step is hold that plan up to all the different options that are out there and find the ones that fit your criteria because the people that own them are hitting the outcomes that you have said, this is what I need to do in order to have a successful business. And then go and investigate those businesses. The third step is once you have it down to one or two businesses that you feel, you know, this might be the one, is go work in the business. As we talked about, I think one of the greatest opportunities that you have is Take it for a test drive, just like a car, right? You wouldn't go buy a half million dollar car or $100,000 car without taking it for a drive around the block. Do the same thing with any business you're going to buy. That's the third step. The fourth step is the legal and the financial components. So do an analysis on how are you going to pay for the business? What's the cost of capital? You know, what banks are out there that might lend? Make the banks compete against each other. You know, as, as the saying goes, when banks compete, you win, right? So tell them, I'm looking to borrow money and what can you do for it? And then on the legal side, make sure that you hire a competent franchise or business attorney to review every document that you're going to sign before you sign anything. Now, there's so, an interesting point. Franchise and business attorneys. Um, sounds to me like you would be doing yourself a disservice if you don't contact a lawyer or an attorney who has deep franchise experience. For sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, if you're going to, um, you know, get a divorce, would you hire a real estate attorney, exactly. right? So exactly. stick with the people that that's what they do. Um, there's, there's a ton of them out there. We've got resources on our website. If you want to go there, that, that can help you find them. They're in every market, right. but uh, have them, you know, have a great attorney review your documents. So, those four steps, if you, if you think about them and you follow them in, in a sequence and go slow, 
you're going to uncover issues before you, you jump in. Don't run across those rocks. Exactly. So that's really what the book is about. It's those four major steps. Very, 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 very well thought out, I think. And, and quite frankly, something that we should all just pause sometimes before we make those decisions. Um, I was fortunate. I, I bought this little company back in 1992 only because I needed to buy a job. And we were very fortunate that all these years later, we now have a, a rather large uh, marketing uh, concern. So we're lucky because I didn't have the opportunity to test those rocks across the stream. Uh, I made the best judgment I could of the previous owner. And I said, all right, we're all in. And when I say we were all in, we were all in. There wasn't anything left in the tell. And, you know, fear was a great motivator because it was a <laughs> failure was not an option scenario. Right. Yep. So, all right. So listen, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you all day. So I always ask the, our guests one basic question and you can answer it either from the business side, the personal side or both. What was the best piece of advice you ever got? Best piece of advice I ever got is uh, my cousin, who's a great entrepreneur, um, said, you know, the, the only risk you'll regret not taking is risk. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, if, look, we're all here once, right? We're here and then we're gone and we're not here very long. And so if you have it in you, if you've thought, I want to go and try something, I want to go and do something, I want to go and change, whether it's uh, your family life, whether it's your relationship, whether it's the economic situation you find yourself in, go do it. Go do it. There's no dress rehearsal for life. Just go do it. And I think this pandemic has really shown the world that you're here. It's a beautiful life that you have. Take the risk. Go out there and, and fight hard for it and go and, and do what you want to do. And if, if independence is something that you've always aspired to, now's the time to do it. It's not tomorrow. It's not the next day. Go learn about it. And, and see if it's right for you. But that's, I think, take take the risk of, of knowledge. Otherwise, you'll always be a, a slave to, uh, yeah, to that lack of knowledge. You don't want to slide in at the end of your life saying, oh, gee, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Right, yeah. So yeah, then no Richard, Richard Branson says, when you're, when you're presented with an opportunity, say yes, and then figure it out later. Yes. I think yeah. that's what we as entrepreneurs do many, many times. We look at a scenario and say, hmm, I think I can do this. And then you do it. And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're wrong. Well, I think, look, the more you do it, you have these frameworks that, you know, people call gut instinct, right? But it's really an amalgam of all of the experiences that you've had moving very rapidly through a uh, decision matrix. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's your gut instinct, basically, exactly. in my mind. So exactly. the more experiences you have, the, the faster you can analyze, is this something I want to get into? Does it fit? My core competence is it within the business purview that uh, you know that I'm in? Um, but just say yes. I like that. You know. Just say yeah. yes. Well, us Greeks will like that anyhow, right? You can't can't help yourself sometimes. That's right. I'm going to take care of this. I got this. Don't worry about it. So, Nick, I, I, I just want to let you know that you can tell you have the floor now. You can tell the people whatever you like. Remember, the audience is CEOs and people on their way to the C-suite. So just let them know where to get a hold of you, what you have to offer, and you know you do too many commercials. Okay, sure. So um, 
if you have a business that you would like to franchise, uh, I'd like to talk with you about that. We have a whole team of people that can help you franchise your business and grow it globally. If you have an interest in diversifying your income through business ownership, we have uh, 151 people in the United States that would be very happy to do a full business analysis with you to take a look at your market, your skill sets, uh, what might make sense. And all of this is free of charge. If you would like to learn more about any of this, please go to thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com. That's thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com. And uh, fill out in the information and ask for a free copy of the Franchise MBA and uh, tell them that you heard it on, uh, on Greg's podcast. And uh, we will send you a, an autographed copy of the, uh, the Franchise MBA. Uh, or you can go buy it on Amazon for $16.95, uh, which, you know, that, that doesn't suck either. But um, if you come onto our website, we'd be happy to do that. And um, with our trade show business, um, that website is franexpousa.com, franexpousa.com. Um, we've got trade shows happening all around the country and uh, physical trade shows as the world starts opening up. First one is uh, March in Miami oh. uh, next week. And, uh, and then we have our online shows that are every two weeks. It's like the biggest Zoom meeting you've ever done where you can go and check out businesses, speak with entrepreneurs, um, you know, spend an hour immersing yourself, uh, meeting some really amazing people. So either way, we love entrepreneurship. We love America. Uh, what an amazing country we're in where you have the ability to create yourself. And uh, if you've thought about business ownership, my advice is go learn about it. It is the best way to gain independence of, of thought, of mind, of body, uh, economically, um, and that's what we like to do. If we can help you, we'd be thrilled to. Terrific. Terrific. Nick, thank you so much. Well, everybody, that's a wrap. And don't miss any of our upcoming Ask a CEO interviews. We have some great guests lined up from every industry from all over the world. The video interviews are available on our YouTube channel at Greg's Corner Office or as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other streaming services. So if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it far and wide and help us build an audience for these outstanding CEOs. Thank you so much. See you next time. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app, or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.